0: Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. H to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO under the ROC. Ho. out the frying pan into the fire. I be the music band's number one supplier. Fly it in a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, Ho. Ho not DOC, but similar. What's good, everybody, and welcome to a Black Friday edition of the Amatella like Katiai podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this November 25th day, the day after Thanksgiving, aka Black Friday, the year 2022. Lots to talk about and dissect here on this uh here on this uh football Friday show. recap the three games from the Thanksgiving holiday across the National Football League here at the top uh give you my two cents on this uh, Jerry Jones photo that has wor- that has worked its way out of the woodwork. I'll give you my reactions on that. Uh, Of course, the Week 12 uh, picks against the spread, and I will try my best to find a few games to sink my teeth into what is a horrendous Week 12 slate of games all day Sunday, and then, of course, uh, Monday night, the Monday night game is just completely unwatchable and also give you... A couple of notes as far as the NBA is concerned a little bit later on in the show. But where we will begin, and I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. I certainly did. Where we will begin is with game number one on Thanksgiving yesterday. Between the Buffalo Bills and the Detroit Lions. Bills winning uh, at the, in the final seconds by a final score of 28-25. Couple of takeaways from this game. Uh, and I'll do Detroit first and I, and then I'll get to Buffalo. Uh, the idea that, that this is, you know, that this is, well, the lions, you know, they, they played real well. They tried hard. They went out there, they gave it their best. And, and, uh, and, and the new and the Detroit lions are no longer the league laughing stock. They're on the come. I understand. That 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 Tony Romo's, you know, basically early in the fourth quarter tried to say, you know, that the Lions are fully back, which was a little strong. Uh, but it, but I heard a lot of that conversation. The Lions are back. This aren't these aren't your same the Lions. This that and the other. And my take isn't that that's the wrong take. My take on people saying that after the game yesterday afternoon was we knew that we knew we knew at least I did. I knew that the Detroit Lions are, are are and have been for a while a different football team than they were in 2021 and 2020, 19, 18, 17, 18, and so on and so forth. We know that the Detroit, anybody that has watched NFL, that has watched NFL football and have seen the Lions play over the last few years can be able to tell you that this Lions team in 2022 uh if everything goes according to plan and nothing out of the and nothing out of the ordinary occurs throughout their rebuilding process, everybody and their mother knows that that the Detroit Lions are are not the, are not going to be are not going to be nor have been at all this season the same old pushover Detroit Lions we understand the fact that they that they have a four and seven record at three games above five hundred they're two and four at home and this that and the other and, and they ha- and they do not have a great defense but the bottom line is that the Detroit Lions are compet are a, are a, excuse me a competitive rough uh tough gritty hard-nosed football team. They're a reflection of their head coach, Dan Campbell. That's a, That's exactly what the Detroit Lions are. The Detroit Lions are an exact replication of Dan of Dan Campbell. Their their head coach. Tough, gritty. They never quit. They never give up on themselves or on each other. That's that's that and you see and you've seen this season, that that's the culture that's starting to be instilled and that's starting to grow. And you saw with hard knocks over the summer that this team is different. Do they still find new ways to lose games in heartbreaking fashion? Yes. But they also, at the same time, have gone out there and put and 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 showed to America that this is not the same old pushover team that you can win. You know, go into Ford Field, beat them forty-two to nothing, and go on your merry way. No, 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 no. You gotta work and bring and bring your A game to beat the Detroit Lions because the Detroit Lions are gonna bring you their A game. So I don't buy into the fact that Sunday, or excuse me, that yesterday on Thursday was the. Coronation of the Detroit Lions. All of a sudden, you know, the, the being, be you know, the the that the same old Detroit Lions moniker is evaporated in a thing of the past. We, I've seen a lot of Lions football this. I've seen a lot of Lions football this season. Really, their only game where it was same old Detroit Lions was their twenty nine was their twenty nine to nothing blowout, twenty nine to nothing shutout loss at Foxborough, and their twenty four to six loss the next week at Dallas. The week that Dak Prescott came back. Outside of those two losses, th- I mean, th- they lo- they lost to the Dolphins by four. They lost to the Dolphins by four points. They lost. They beat. They uh they lost to, uh they lost to the Eagles by a field goal. They've they've lost to they lost to Minnesota in week three by four points. They I mean they have they've played a lot outside of the two uh, their two blot losses against the Patriots and against the Dallas Cowboys. A lot of their uh games this season have been decided by a touchdown or less. I knew that the Detroit that Detroit Lions were going to be a force to be reckoned with. When when the Philadelphia Eagles were blowing them out the water, and they came back in the, in the latter stages of the fourth quarter, made the game interesting. They only lost by a field goal. The following week, they the following the, or excuse me their their, lo, their next loss two weeks after that, they lost to the Minnesota Vikings, who are the second best team in the NFC. They lost to them by four points. You know they lost to the Seattle they lost to the Seahawks on October the second by a field goal in a forty eight to forty five absolute shootout. Uh, they, uh, they're, they're lost to Miami. They lost by four, on, uh, the day, the day before Halloween. On went with Tua's two, two, uh, two big day with Tyree Kill in Detroit, they lost by four points. So I they they held Aaron Rodgers to nine points and had him throw and force three red zone inter, three red zone interceptions in their fifteen to nine slugfest uh, defensive slugfest victory on the uh, sixth earlier this month. So I know that the Detroit Lions were forced to be wrecked with or or and are not a football team in 2022. To be taken lightly. So, in my humble opinion, that their loss yesterday wasn't. We know that the Detroit Lions are good. They're competitive. their vices that and the other. Anybody that's seen them play this season, that that's that that's stating the obvious. This is a football team that's on the come up. That is on the rise. That has plenty of potential. That's got great offensive talent. Jamal Williams, the running back. Swift is a the good running back tandem between uh, between Williams and Swift out of the backfield. They uh, they got they have they got they have talent especially on the offensive side of the football, good offensive coordinator. I liked a couple of the, of their play calls. Fourth and I believe it was a fourth and one with the game on line during their final offensive drive late in regulation. They called a uh, they called a reverse. I mean it was almost like I was watching the Kansas City Chiefs or something. You know, wide receiver, little reverse uh, sweep run to pick up the first down and keep the drive alive and keep and uh, and to keep the game going. So the Detroit Lions, we know, are going to be a force to be reckoned with for the foreseeable future. The problem is, you know, can they can they elevate themselves to win the games against the big boys? Beat Beat the Eagles. Beat the Dolphins. Beat the Vikings. To beat the Bills. And what you saw yesterday is that they're not there yet. They had their chances, but they're not there yet and the thing about detroit that i the real thing about detroit i did not like is that there's the is the uh, third and one it's the third and one play they had the ball at their own 27 yard line third and one with less than a minute to go, they all they have to do is just get one yard and continue to milk the clock with keeping the field goal in the back pocket and they get themselves about a few yards close to put the ball into the end zone and they go and they go to a deep and they go to a it was a beautiful route good play call but and we and this is and and that incompletion goes to show and go and, and is and is an Alex example of why. Uh, of why Matthew or not Matthew Stafford, but why Sean McVay traded for Matthew Stafford and got uh, Jared Goff the hell out of Los Angeles. Third, third and one with 32 seconds left, they have the ball at Buffalo's 33-yard line. D.J. Shark runs a perfect route, man-to-man coverage. Beats his, uh, beats the, uh, beats his man, number thirty, and run, run wheel a little. Not a wheel. Yeah, I get. You can kind of call it a wear out more like a go to a certain extent, because he was lined up in the in the in the tight slot format, in the tight bunch slot formation out of shotgun. Runs a perfect route, man-to-man coverage. Beats his, beats his man. He's more running that, running up the running up the field outside the numbers and Jared Goff completely misses him. You know, if that's Josh Allen, my, you, you I I can give you the quarterbacks. But that if that's Matthew Stafford, that that pass is completed, that that pass is completed and the and the Detroit Lions have the football inside the Buffalo Bills 20 to 15 yard line. They continue to melt the clock a little more, field goal in their back pocket, so if they kick a field goal in the game, it goes into overtime, and they give themselves a better opportunity to, uh, and it gives themselves a better opportunity to, uh, to put the ball in the end zone and score, and score a touchdown to win the game. I myself personally would have would have played a little bit more cautiously and more safely in that sequence and gone for and gone for the first down just to just to stay in front of the chains and keep the chains moving but the route was executed perfectly the play call wasn't terrible but it was a piss poor throw by Jared Goff that that ball's got to be there to Shark it has to it has to be there to him has to be there to him instead miscommunication, overthrows him, incomplete pass, fourth and one, 23 seconds left, Buffalo still has the timeouts, Badgley makes the 50, uh, uh, makes the 51-yard field goal, and it gives Josh Allen enough time to march down the field as as great of a quarterback as he is, marches down the field, sets up position, four plays, 48 yards, and sets up Tyler Bass to kick a uh, 45-yard field goal from Detroit's 27-yard line, Buffalo gets away, with one winning at twenty eight twenty five. Now, from a Buffalo perspective, uh, and uh, and the and the Lions did have many of opportunities uh, that they could have had that they you know to not run away and hide, but make Buffalo work extra harder for this game after jo- after Josh Allen's red zone interception on the first and goal uh, by Anzalo- by uh, Anzalone first and goal when they had the ball at Detroit's ten yard line with ten or two to go in the third quarter the 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 uh the lions three, go three plays minus 8 yards that ensuing drive and ends up get caught with their pants around the ankles for safety and they give two points back to buffalo you know and they'll lear- and they'll learn this as this team matures as as this team as this team continues to shred and trim the fat trying to build themselves a uh, a cha- a, uh, a contending football team they 'll learn that you cannot expect to beat, especially uh, superior opponents, regardless what throw records, you cannot expect to beat superior opponents when you waste turnovers. When Josh Allen throws a red zone interception on first and goal at your own 10-yard line, you got to get you take the ball right back and you march down the field 90 yards, chew up the clock and put the ball in the end zone. Had the had Detroit have done that, they would have taken a twenty-one to seventeen lead, or at minimum kicked the field goal and the game would have been tied. Instead, they go eight. They, instead, they go eight yards backwards, only run three plays, fifty seconds come off the clock, and they end up in their own end zone with the safety. And instead of it being seventeen all or twenty-one, or excuse me, not twenty-one, yeah, twenty-one. 17 Detroit instead it was 1914 Buffalo Lions come out of that gift Come out of that possession It was a gift from Josh Allen they come out of it empty-handed and they get the ball and they give the bills the ball right back with an opportunity to score to score on back-to-back possessions fortunately enough for Detroit Buffalo's ineptitude, four plays, only move the ball 10 yards, and they end up punting the football right back to Detroit, and it stayed at a 19-14 deficit instead of instead of 22-14 or instead of uh, or instead of 26-14 if Buffalo would have put the ball in the end zone in that ensuing drive coming off of the free kick. Instead, they punt the football, Lions get the ball right back, drive the ball nine plays, 75 yards, courtesy Jim Nass with the announcer's drinks, Bad, Badgley misses the uh, misses the uh, misses the twenty nine yard chip shot field goal. It remains nineteen fourteen Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo squandered many opportunities. You know you get the same, and it was a huge point on both accounts because Tony Romo said it all game long. You know that it was imperative and that it was important that if Buffalo's going to win this game, they're going to have to st- find a way to steal a possession or two in order to keep up with Buffalo uh in in term in the scoring department. What happened? They forced the red zone interception, which I'll get to with Allen that looks like it's reared his ugly head again. I'll get to that in a moment. But red zone interception, Bills can't capitalize instead, they give the uh they give the uh the Bills two points. And then to make it worse there and then to make it worse their next possession. They march all the way down field, nine plays, seventy-five yards, and they miss a field goal. Throw in the fact, throw in the fact on their third possession in the game. They cough up the football and give Buffalo ideal field position to start out at their own forty-two yard line. What do they do? Ten plays, fifty-eight yards. Buffalo scores a touchdown, goes up 14-7. So they gave, so they gave Buffalo a possession. When Buffalo gave gave them a possession right back in return, they couldn't capitalize, which came back, which came back to bite them in the ass as well. Now, from a Buffalo Bills perspective, the Buffalo Bills they gotta they gotta do a better job taking care of the football. They they got to. If you if you ask me to grade Josh Allen's performance, I would give him a C plus. Uh, because of the because of the final because especially because of he won the game form on the final drive but they got to do a better job taking care of the football and again it is not a pretty sight or whether on the stat sheet or watching the game in real time seeing that Josh Allen is your leading rusher Ted carries seventy eight yards and a touchdown. It wasn't like the, that Buffalo had to play, front, play from behind in the immense deficit during the sequence of the game. They got to be able to run the football. And if you cannot, in this league, run the football effectively, run it well, milk the clock, keep your opponents on the sideline, whether it be Mahomes, whether it be Jackson, Burrow, Tannehill, whoever, Jared Goff, I don't care, you name it. If you can't effectively run the football, milk the clock, take the pressure off your defense get them a little, and get them some rest on the sidelines, you can't run the football effectively well and I mean design runs, not Josh Allen dropping back the pass, nobody's open downfield and he tucks in and runs it. No, I mean handoff to running back running the football. You can't do that effectively and do it well and do it frequently. My estimation, Buffalo is still in a heap of trouble because you've got to be able to run the football effectively somewhat in order for you to win a championship. You don't have to be a great running football team, but you've got to be a solid running football team and i thus far just do not see that with do not see that with buffalo they had an opportunity to trade for saquon barkley for ever the reason they could not execute i mean they got naheem hines but the only time i've seen him uh consi- the only time i've really seen his name called is uh is in is in the return game he only got one carry uh, yesterday afternoon for 3 yards josh Allen leading rusher with with 78 yards on the ground Singletary got fourteen carries, only ran for seventy-two. They got to be able to run the football more. They have to. If they is as, as uh, they have to, they cannot expect to win a championship if they cannot run the football decent decently on any at any sorts of level. And again, it goes back to Josh Allen turnover problems. You know, turning the football over left and right inside the red zone is not going to cut it. You know, you may get away with it against Detroit. You may have gotten away with it three weeks ago against the Green Bay but you didn't get away with it and it cost you against the Jets and it cost you again against against the Vikings in that game. And if you keep it up, you know, you do it to Cincinnati, you do it to Baltimore, you do it to uh you do it to Kansas City, you might not get so lucky. So if you so again, turnovers inside the red zone is a problem getting too careless, too reckless. Carefree with the football, I'd be concerned about that. Detroit Lions, pastoral Schuster did a hell of a job too. They sacked, uh, they sacked Josh Allen three times, and give the Lions credit. You know, they had a lot of injuries in their guards position, uh, excuse me, with their guards interior of their offensive line, and they only allowed two sacks. Granted, it was aided because of the fact that Von Miller left the game. Uh, left the game early with a knee injury, no torn ACL, but it looks like a torn meniscus, and he would have to sit out about a week or two just so the swelling goes down. So we'll see where the uh, Bills stand with that. So they, uh, granted, they got a break, but the bu- but the Detroit Lions' offense stood stood strong for the most part, and that's one reason why uh, the Lions were able to move the ball as efficiently as they were. The Lions only made only made one turnover, uh, when that was a fumble. And Buffalo capitalized on it. Bills turned over the football one time too. The Lions couldn't capitalize on it. That ended up being a difference maker in the game. And again, me personally on the third and one, I get the first down. When a game is in question, I understand you have field goal in your back pocket, so it the end of the world and you were still in field goal range. I myself personally get the first down and either get the first down and just keep the chains moving. Get the first down. Get the first down, and keep it moving. Now the play call wasn't terrible, and all it takes is an accurate Jared Goff throw, and we're having a separate conversation. But they kick the field goal. Josh Allen marches down the field, and the Lions do what they do. That's game number one. Game number two, between the uh, between the New York Football Giants and the Dallas Cowboys. You know, it, it was it was the same issues with the Dallas Cowboys that I saw in that I saw in this game. Thirteen penalties for eighty six yards, and they lo- and they lost the turnover battle. Now, in the playoffs, you uh, you you commit thirteen penalties, and, uh, and and lose the turnover battle two to nothing. You're you're not going to be winning a whole hell of a lot of playoff games, if if any at all. You're not going to win a whole lot of playoff games or or any playoff games, let alone make it to the Super Bowl, when you're committing penalties left and right, the Mike McCarthy special and losing a turnover battle, uh throwing interceptions left and right if you're Dak Prescott. They can get away with it against the Giants team that was injured at Hell and back, missing the top two corners, uh, and, and doesn't have a whole hell of a lot of playmakers on offense besides Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones, who's a uh you know, who's a game who's a who's a game manager at best. And not a big time franchise, uh, Super Bowl contending uh, quarterback for the New York Giants. You can get away with that going up against them because eventually, like like you saw with the Eagles and the Cal- with the Eagles in the Colts game on Sunday, eventually if they keep, if the inferior team that's winning keeps the keeps the superior losing team in the game long enough eventually it's going to even itself out and the and the team that has the better roster one one through 53 is going to come out of the game in the end with the w and that basically was the same premise uh down at arlington down in arlington texas between the giants and the cowboys on yesterday is that the cowboys albeit they committed penalties at infinitum and uh prescott's turn over the football left and right they have they have a better team than the dallas cowboys do. Better team, better quarterback, better, more, more, and more talent on the offensive side of the football, better receivers, better tight end, and better, and better uh, players on the defensive side. Not to mention the, the, not, not to mention the fact that, that the Giants came into this game hobbling. You know, so if, if I, if I, and, and if I'm the Giants, you know, for other reason, they cannot f- beat Dak Prescott. Uh, he, they can't beat Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, which if that was a Cowboy fan, they would ke- that would keep you up to sleep. That would keep you up at night. Um, I, on the Giants' opening possession, I don't understand. I couldn't understand for the life of me, not their opening possession. Their uh, second possession of the game, I do not understand the... Uh, the uh ineligible man downfield i mean we going off of the eye test did it really look like phillips uh was in impe- was impeding on the uh on the hodgins to on the hodgins uh, touchdown catch on that second and seventeen? i mean by a letter of the law was we'll he a couple of yards downfield and, and someone should explain to uh, someone should explain to Phillips that the next time you think that you got ha- that you got caught with your hand in a cookie jar with the illegal or excuse me with the ineligible man down field penalty, the I- the idea of basically if you commit it and, and and as in your mind have you caught caught yourself doing it. The idea isn't to backpedal and backpedal and kind of like moonwalk your way back, moonwalk your way back forward because then that draws attention to it. It gets the refs thinking, was he too far? And then all of a sudden they throw the flag. So, uh, so Dayball or the offensive line coach for the Giants, the coordinator, whoever has got to tell him, listen. Next time you feel like you caught your hand, is caught in a cookie jar. And you're too far downfield by a few yards, or by a few steps. Just stay there. Don't. Don't go, don't go forward, and don't go backward. Because if you go forward, if you go forward, it makes it worse. If you go backwards, it just it it basically is it's it's the equivalent of the cat that ate the canary. Look, you caught you're caught guilty, and now you're gonna try to backtrack and hope and pray that nobody in a hundred hundred. Uh, 100,000 uh seat stadium with referees all over the place and video cameras that nobody saw that nobody saw you you know move backward when you realized that you were too far uh downfield than what is uh than uh than what's required as for an offensive lineman. So hopefully the Giants they, they'll see that when they watch the film and they'll say, "Hey, Phelps, next time don't m- try to moonwalk away backwards, just stay right where you are." But by the letter of the law you could quibble I myself, personally, seeing it live and on replay, did not think that was worthy enough for the referees to throw a flag, inject themselves in the game, and take a touchdown away from the Giants. A thing I also had a problem with on the third and goal with the Giants had the ball at their own fifth. Or excuse me, the Cowboys had the ball at the Giants' 15-yard line. Why in the world Wink Martindale is playing man-to-man coverage? I have no, on the Dalton Schultz. Touchdown catch on the back left-hand corner of the end zone. I have no idea what the hell Wink Martindale was thinking calling man coverage. Wink, it's third and goal, and they have the ball at their own 15-yard line. Forcing them to kick a field goal is a win in that situation. You with the way that your offense has been anemic in the second and anemic in the second half, you cannot afford to allow Dallas to keep on marching down the field and putting the ball in, into the end zone as frequent as frequently as they as they as they began as they gained momentum as the game wore on. What are you doing? It's third and goal. You don't have to. You don't have to. It's not third and goal at the fifth. It's third and goal at the fifteen yard line. Third and goal at the fifteen. So if they catch the ball at the five, at the ten. At the uh, at at the two yard line, who cares? Your goal basically is to play zone coverage and to make sure and to keep everything in front of you. So if you so if you want to if you want to play cover two man, cover two, cover two man, cover co- uh, cover two man, engage eight. You gotta make sure at the bare minimum that the that the that the end zone is covered. Keep and keep make sure that you got either two or three DBs standing at the goal line and make sure that no giant wide receiver gets behind them and keep everything in front of them. If they catch the ball at the at the at the 13, at the five or the eight yard line, you'll live. You hold them to a field goal. That's a win. Man-to-man coverage straight up, allowing Dalton Schultz go one-on-one. Act like like you're still in Baltimore and you got it, and you got Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters out there on the field. I do I for the life of me I do not understand. He ended up getting burned by it. Schultz makes a nice catch left hand corner in the end zone touchdown Dallas. That made absolutely no sense from a Giants perspective uh whatsoever. And Daniel Jones, you know, and Daniel Jones again, he is what we thought he was. Now granted, he's played better this season, under the guidance of Bryant Dabo, and the way that, and as we've discussed, the way the Giants play has 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 limited the opportunities for Daniel Jones to make mistakes. But like I said going into this, like I said going into this game, I say it again: when the Giants are forced to play on their opponent's terms, throwing the football, letting it fly. And having your quarterback make the big throws on, on third down and inside the rest win your games, the, the New York Giants are not talented enough at the quarterback position or at their skill position at wide receiver tying in for them, to win, for, for them to win games like that. Their brand of winning football is they control the tempo, they control the clock, and they dictate the game. That's the, that's giving it off to Saquon Barkley, letting Daniel Jones touch the throw the ball as minimal times as possible and playing with the lead. Now they went into halftime with a thirteen to seven lead and and they and they could not keep their foot on the gas. They couldn't. Jones took care of the football, but he did not play well in the game well he didn't play great i should say it 's twenty one to thirty five two twenty eight got sacked three times Dallas Cowboy defensive front made its, made its, made its presence known at Life on that Monday night in late September, and they did the same to the giants uh, to the Giants offensive line on Thursday afternoon could run the football very well. Saquon only got 11 carries for 39 yards of the ground as long as run for the, on the game was for, was for 10 yards. Meanwhile, on the Cowboys side, Zeke ran the ball effectively. Throwback Zeke, performance 16, carries 92 yards of the ground, and a touchdown. And Dak Prescott wasn't too shabby either, except the fact he's got to cut out of in two interceptions. One of the interceptions was horrendous thrown into double coverage. And then the second one, you can quibble and argue whether or not it was CD running a bad route or whatever. The, the two bad balls that cannot be thrown, or excuse me the first interception was he thought he had a free play and 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 the corner and the uh I get his name here in a minute and uh had he had thought he had a free play, and all of a sudden here's Williams come swooping across comes sweeping across the uh swooping across the field and he makes a nice toe tap toe tap catch towards the giant sideline and goes out of bounds dak thought he has a had a had a free play on that situation that was a second and six with seven fifteen to go in the first quarter he got lazy got cute you can't ha he can that's you cannot afford to have that happen, Dak. You gotta be sure as hell sure that you got a free play in front of you before you start chucking up passes left and right. Thought he had a free play, defensive penalty wasn't the case. Interception st- stood. Lucky for the Cowboys, the Giants on the ensuing offensive possession, three plays, six yards, and a punt. When he had an opportunity to go up ten nothing, and they couldn't. And then the second interception that Dak threw, he's throwing in the triple coverage CD. You can blame CD for running a bad route. I'll go move towards the quarterback because the quarterback, if CD runs the the bad route, Dak cannot in that situation exploit the bad route running on Lamb's part to help out the defense. If Lamb's running a bad route, don't throw him the football. If it's a bad route running job by Lamb, don't throw him the football. Go somewhere else. Why, if he's running a bad route, or he isn't running, or he isn't, or he isn't the 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 most disciplined or crisp route runner, you know, during the sequence of that play, why throw him the football? Especially when there's one, two, three white jerseys surrounded around him. Throw it to somebody else, or throw the ball away. So we can, you know, you can quibble, get on Lamb. He's the quarterback. He's got to control where the ball goes. And him throwing, and him. You know, basically trying to squitter fit a square peg into a round hole. With CD running a bad route, makes it worse, not better. So, and if the and, and Dallas Cowboys is their first win on Thanksgiving since two thousand and eighteen, that that's a game. If I'm a Cowboy fan, you know, you you say, "Who?" I'm glad that's over with. But you know, in the back of your mind, you play like that against certain teams in the NFC come playoff time. It'll be the same story as last year against. Uh, it'll be the same story as last year against uh, against San Francisco, but the Cowboys get the job done. Nevertheless. And in game number three, the uh, Minnesota Vikings and the uh, New England Patriots. Justin Jefferson, I mean, what the heck can you say about him that has been said already? He has passed Randy Moss and Odell Beckham Jr. for the most receiving yards through the first three seasons in NFL history with 4,203 receiving yards and still counting. Randy Moss, 4,163, and Odell, one th- excuse me, four thousand one twenty two. What I mean just an absolutely sensational job. And then Kirk Cousins. Hey, I guess Thanksgiving Kirk outweighs uh primetime Kirk because Kirk Cousins completed eighty completed eighty one point six percent of his passes, second highest completion percentage against the Patriots since Bill belichick has been a head coach. You and give the, the higher completion percentage was September the twenty first of two thousand eight uh against the Dolphins in which their quarterback completed eighty five point seven percent of their passes and a 38-13 blowout win. The Minnesota Vikings improved to 9-2 on the season, still keeping the pressure on the Philadelphia Eagles to keep on winning and to maintain their spot as the one seed and best record in the National Football Conference. Kirk was 30-37. 299 pass yards, three touchdowns, only the one interception, got sacked one time. They weren't able to run the football very well with Dalvin Cook, but it didn't matter. Again, Jefferson, All-World, nine receptions, 139 yards, receiving and a touchdown. Adam Thielen, TJ Hawkinson also got into the mix with two touchdown catches, as well as the Minnesota Vikings get the job done against the Patriots on Thanksgiving night. From a Patriots' perspective, this is a loss that they could not ill that they couldn't afford to have. Now they have the week off because they play as we return to the Thursday night deals with Amazon uh, a week from uh, a week from yesterday when they when they uh, when they play Buffalo. But that's a loss that if you're the Patriots at six and five, you cannot afford to have. Uh, you know what I mean because you got Buffalo next week. Arizona on Monday night which is a, which is a very w you so you got two wonderful games back to back Arizona and Vegas. But then the last, but then the last three games of the season, you go through the gauntlet. The defending champs come into your house Christmas Eve. Then you host the Miami Dolphins. You'll have you'll have a break that time because two will have to deal with the elements come on come New Year's Day, week seventeen, and then you go up to Buffalo to play Buffalo on January eighth, the final Sunday of the regular season in uh in a in a little over a month's time. So if you're the pa but again, you only have two more winnable two games I can look at it and say, Yeah, I can see the Pages winning that game and that's it. Cause the last three are not are not going to be easy assignments under any circumstances. You got the you got a two you got two teams in your own division between the Dolphins and the Bills out of the criminal crop, and then you have the defending champs on Christmas Eve, and that was a game against the Vikings. Now, granted, they were eight and one. But they had their opportunities to to win that game, and they could not capitalize. Especially when the Minnesota Vikings defense allowed for Mac Jones to throw for damn near 400 yards, 382 to be exact. Then then forced an the interception, threw for two touchdown passes, and uh, and was just le- leaving uh, leaving Parker, Stevenson, Aguilar, Hunter Henry, Jeffrey Myers, uh, Born. Many, many a separation that the Minnesota Vikings defense has not been very good this season, ranking in the 20s, uh, ranking in the 20s for uh, for the Minnesota Vikings this football season. It, it, their, their, their defense is what would scare me because, again, the separation that they allowed the Patriots receivers to have uh, last night is not something that if I was a Vikings fan I'd be comfortable with, but you turn the other cheek and you don't care because you ended up because uh, you ended up winning the game, but Mac Jones, he listen, he did all he could. But I mean, the Patriots were very, very uncharacteristically sloppy. Bad special teams. They had the ru- they had the running into the kicker, which bailed the Vikings out when he had a bad drive and kept them on the field, all- allowing them allowing them to continue in their scoring proceedings. They also gave up the uh, they also gave up the run back. On the, uh, I'll give his name in a minute. On on the Kene and Wagnew 90 97 yard kickoff return right after the Patriots march down the field to open up the uh, to open up the second half 75 yard drive they march down the field take the lead 23 16 they get the ball back in the ensuing kickoff to the to the Vikings and then it's whew, 97 yards to the crib Vikings end up tying the game at 23 apiece. So uncharacteristically sloppy on special teams, and it's ironic because the Patriots just coming off of a game where special teams ended up winning it for them, of course, with the uh, with the return, eighty-four yard return against the Jets about five days prior, and then here they are five, you know, that same. Week in the calendar, four or five days later, a game later, and their special teams are sloppy all over the place. Running into the kicker, they give up the kickoff return. Uncharacteristically sloppy for for the uh, New England Patriots. They were only three of, and they weren't great on third down uh, whatsoever. And a lot of similarities between between within their loss against the Vikings and their Monday night loss at home. Uh, against the uh, in late October against the, against Chicago, a lot they could not get off the field on third down a lot on defense. The Vikings were eight of fifteen on third down. Patriots in turn on offense were only thirty percent, went three of ten. Bad special teams. It's just gave up uh, three hundred fifty total yards of uh, total yards of uh, total yards of offense. Committed six penalties for fifty five yards. So it was just it was not a lot of things. The Patriots, their offense, gave them a chance. The off either you say their offense or the Vikings' an ineptitude. You you can uh, you can uh, quibble and, and 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 pick and choose which one you want to uh, cast blame if you want. But many have issues with uh, Belichick's team last night and Hunter Henry. We can all sit up here and and debate about how piss poor the about how piss poor the rule is the des bryant rule um it basically you know by the quote unquote letter of the law they ruled it wasn't a catch because he because he caught it he caught it reached o- he caught it and like reached over the pylon all within like the same motion and came down to the ground and did not su- and he did not quote unquote survive the ground. And the ball came loose to the end. He lost possession. He ruled an incomplete pass. We can sit up here. We can, we can debate. We can say all oh, the rules stinks. He caught the ball. Should be a touchdown. This, that, and the other. Bottom line is, is that he did not is that he did not survive the ground. He didn't. And the rule states that you got to catch the ball. And if you're not running or making football move, that ball cannot move as soon as you as soon as you touch the ground. Now the now where it gets now the thing that people are trying to compare it to the Des Bryant catch in in the fourteen blows against the Packers, and then of course the uh, the Jesse James play when uh, between Pittsburgh when Pittsburgh and New England played in December of seventeen is that the difference to me the difference is that Jesse James caught the ball. He caught the ball and then he made a quote-unquote football move, trying to extend the ball over the goal line and try to break the plane. And the ball came loose when his when the ball, when it's when the ball in the and his hands hit the ground and they ruled it an incomplete catch. The Des Bryant play, he caught the Dez Bryant play. He caught the ball, took two made two forward steps and then and then. Uh, with the ball in his uh, left hand, left hand, left arm, I believe, trying to extend it over the goal line, and he likes and he slammed his he slammed his arm on the on the ground, and the ball ended up, and the ball ended up coming loose from his grasp, and they ruled it an incomplete catch. The Dez Bryant and the Jesse James, my eyes, he caught the ball, made a football move. Jesse, the football move was catch knee down or or it was it or it was uh I think it was his knee might have been down. I can't remember, but it was catch. It was catch brent it was catch boom extend and then they ruled it incomplete when, when the ball hit the ground. With with the Des Bryant play it was catch. He took two steps, tried to extend, because he was getting tackled from behind, and then the ball moved. It ruled it incomplete. With Hunter Henry, and if you don't remember, it was third and goal was six forty seven to go, uh in the third quarter, scored tied at twenty-three at the time on the uh on the Patriots uh, next possession after the run back. Uh Hunter Henry catches the ball looking at it right now he catches the ball at the goal line he catches it and 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 he catches it and he extends it all in like one motion so him reaching out to the oh, reaching out over the goal line uh reaching out over the goal line to extend the ball to, to score a touchdown is all in one motion it's not like making a football move like the Bryant play or like or like the uh, Jesse James play. Now you can sit up here and say, as soon as he catches the ball and the ball clearly breaks the plane by a good foot, you could say you you could say that that's a touchdown right then and there at the time. But because he was getting tackled to the ground and he doesn't make a quote unquote football move per se, and him extending over the goal line is not exactly. He isn't. Ex- he isn't exactly going. Out- that isn't like a second sequence of his body movement. It's kind of him like catching the ball, maintaining possession, and extending it all in one motion. And because of that, and there was no differentiation that he was catching it, bringing it in, and then extending it. The ball hits the the ball hits the ground, and they ended up ruling it an incomplete pass. But uh, so, but it was a little different between the Jesse the Jesse James play from. Hard to believe, five years ago. Was it five years ago? Yeah, 17. Five years ago. Five years ago, this upcoming month. Uh, and of course, the Des Bryant play uh, eight years ago. No, longer than that, because it was, five, yeah, eight years ago. So, give my my uh, two cents on that Hunter Henry play. If that's your Thanksgiving recap. I will give you my two cents on Jerry Jones coming up. This is the Until I Can Tell You This podcast. Welcome back to the uh, Amateraki is podcast. News broke late Wednesday night uh or Wednesday I should say uh that there was a picture that made the Washington Post and a Washington Post article that was published on Wednesday uh on washingtonpost.com saying quote Jerry Jones the the title of the article and i give it to you uh jerry jones helped transform the nfl except when it came to race and there's a photo of jerry jones uh at north little rock high school a few miles from central high uh during the same month of the uh, little rock nine of course with the integration of the uh of uh, of uh, little rock uh little rock high school back in the uh, back from 19 57 is a photo of of uh, Jerry Jones at 14 year f 15 years of age at the time a uh, member of uh, of a group of high school students amongst media members with their with their uh cameras and everything else as t- as two black male students are trying to enter the school and you have uh and you have two you have one of them standing in front with a cigarette trying to intimidate him the other one to the right of him laughing and there's just just a huge just scene of people and then you can see you know in the red circle is a photo of Jerry Jones uh back when he was a, a teen when he was a teenager back in uh, 1957 and there was a uh and it was a, it was written about in the wall in the Washington Post uh, and it became a hu. and became a little story. It, it became a story on Twitter all throughout Wednesday and Wednesday night, and leading, of course, up to the the essentially the biggest stage that the Dallas Cowboys have outside of a playoff game, it, their biggest regular season stage, and that's their uh, annual Thanksgiving game at 4:30. Uh, at 4:30, uh, and Jerry Jones was asked about uh was asked about him being portrayed in that photo and this is what he said
1: yeah that was uh, uh gosh uh 60, 65 years ago and uh, a curious kid uh, i didn't know at the time the uh, monumental uh, uh uh event really that was that was going on and uh Uh, I'm sure glad that uh, uh, we're a long way from that, I am, and um, uh, we just, uh, that would remind me, just uh, uh, continue to do everything we can uh, to uh, uh, not have those kinds of things happen. Any regrets of just being in the photo, being there at all? What? Any regrets on being in the photo, being there at all? Well, I didn't, I wouldn't uh, have just dug that up, for sure, I mean, seriously, but uh, uh, that was curiously, Uh, I got criticized because I was more interested in how I was going to be punished by my coaches and everybody for uh, being out front, but nobody there had any idea, frankly, what was uh, going to take place. Uh, You didn't, uh, we we didn't have all the last 70 years of reference and all the things that were going, and so uh, you you didn't have a reference point there. Uh, Still, uh, uh, I've got a habit of sticking this nose. Jerry. right place at the wrong time <laughs> did you get did you get in trouble with your coach or being? There? I sure did right. what, 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 what was the punishment well it, uh, it, you know I was uh, a young sophomore trying to make the team and that, uh, they kicked my ass Jerry, Jerry it came up in the Little Rock situation uh, at, at Little Rock Central though right uh, that photo and that incident excuse me that incident came out <laughs> the, the situation in Little Rock Central. Uh, Well, that was North Little Rock, which was literally just two or three miles away. Was it the same day as Little Rock Central, or it came a a different day? As I recall, it uh, was certainly in proximity with it. Uh, Those were certainly uh, uh, the issues that uh, were going on, but uh, did not have the uh, uh, structure or the uh, the, it was not the event that the central thing was Jerry do you understand the perception that
0: people have of you standing there because that was not exactly a welcoming committee that day yeah sure here's he, here's the thing with Jerry Jones before I give you my own personal opinion on, on Jerry Jones just in general here here's the thing you can sit back and Give Jerry Jones the benefit of the doubt of him being 14 years of age, you know, brain not fully developed, going through puberty, X different, you know, different things going on in the human, in the human brain. It's maturing. It's this, it's that. We all at one point in time have done things at 14, 15 years of age that we aren't proud of as full grown adults and how not to say that it excuses racism and bigotry because it doesn't, but you, but you'd be a fool to think that racism wasn't a more, wasn't a more, uh, compound, Part of American Southern culture, in the f- you know from post from essentially from slavery post Civil War through the uh, through Reconstruction at, and post World War One and World War Two into fifties and sixties United States of America. You you not not to say that it's not to say that it's acceptable and not to say that it's no excuse. But obviously it was more part of the Southern, it was more part of the, uh, of the white America fabric in the deep South. in that certain point in time where it basically, you know, you were brought up to look down on black people, just like you were, just like you were you know, brought up that point in time all them Southern Baptists down there to know the Ten Commandments and recite the Ten Commandments backwards and forwards and ABCs and 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 knowing how to pray and all that sort of stuff. So I get in the aspect of of how back in that time there was a lot of young kids in that preteen teenage, you know, part of their lives that were racist because it was a part of the fabric and a part of the culture they were culturally conditioned to be racist because of the upbringing of their parents and their older family members that were in their family so that is one school of thought in which i understand because back in those days it was you you know you were programmed you were programmed to Look down on black people, and black people are this and that. They ain't no good, and and, and 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 separate but equal, and all, and 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 you couldn't sit the front of the bus, or sit at the front lunch counter, and this that and the other. So I get that, I understand that, and there probably are a lot of a lot of people that were either in Jerry Jones's situation that protest the integration of those schools at that young age and really had no idea what the hell they were protesting against. They were more or less doing it because they saw their parents and their grandparents and their aunts and uncles and their older cousins and, and all the people that they knew that, well, if they were doing it, I'm doing it. You know, following, following the blind, being a follower, not thinking for themselves, practicing groupthink which when, when you which when you break down you know racism and bigotry and everything else is basically what it is just toxic groupthink that one community is is bad and is and is and is scum of the earth to society and everybody else and everybody that looks like you and thinks like you is superior to everybody else so i know that Jerry Jones is not the only 14 15 year old that whether they recognize it or not were practicing in racist behavior because it was culturally programmed into them. The issue that I have that where I don't give Jerry Jones the benefit of the doubt on this and where I'm holding his feet to the fire is because 60-something years later, that picture was from 1957. That was well over 60 years ago. 65 years later, Jerry Jones went as straight up And it was a black reporter that asked the question. Asked straight up, do you have any regrets of being in that photo? And Jerry pretty much danced around the question. James Brown shuffled around the question and turned it more into him getting reprimanded for it by his high school coaches rather than him. Being ashamed and be and regretting to do it because it wasn't the right thing to do, and it was more and it was a morally corrupt thing that he was participating in. That's the problem that I have the issue more than likelier than not isn't that isn't what fourteen fifteen year old Jerry Jones did. My issue is what what eighty something Jerry Jones did in response. Jerry Jones has been in this country, has lived in different places. He's lived in Texas. He he's he he's he's born born and raised and went to school in Arkansas. He's been around hundreds, probably thousands of black people. Ones that ones that ones that he's uh, you know whether they be paying customers with his cowboy franchise, whether they be uh, people that work for him within the Dallas Cowboy organization, you media members, you name it. People that he just sees walking, going about his everyday life, you know, whether it's whether it's through childhood, going to school at Arkansas, as 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 a college, you name it, Jerry Jones has been has been around has been around his fair share of black people throughout his eighty something year old uh, existence. He's been around. He's been around black people. And he knows the difference between white. Uh, at least he, th- at least one would think he knows the difference between white, uh, re- between the difference of right and wrong. And the problem that I have is that Jerry Jones, in front of a camera, many cameras, with a mic, with quite a few microphones held to his face, as that damn black dog makes his return to the Shields household again. He, for whatever the reason. Why not for whatever reason, but when he was held with his feet to the fire, cameras on his, cameras beaming right there on his face. Media members crowded around him like they always are. Microphones, tape recorders, iPhones, voice memo. When it was there, well, after the fact, we've had Dr. King, we've had Rosa Parks and all the other black leaders from 1957 up until... 2022 on Wednesday and Thursday afternoon. A lot of time has passed. A lot of mo- what, even you don't have to go as far back into what happened in the 60s, what ha- what happened what happened in the 60s. Hell, you ch- can just take 20 that 2020 year alone. And you would think that Jerry Jones would have enough wherewithal, would have enough common sense, would have enough uh 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 would have enough uh intelligence and humanity sit up and say in front of a microphone knowing that he's got uh knowing that he's got hella black players on his team his starting quarterback of his football team is black he's got a lot he's got a lot of black fans a lot of uh, some of the some of the the, the Cowboys greatest players since Jerry Jones has owned the team since 1989, have been black, whether it be Emmett, whether it be Nate Newton, whether it be uh, 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 Charles Haley, or uh, Michael Irvin, Deion Sanders, you name it, a lot of them have been Black. And you would think Jerry Jones would have enough common sense and just enough wherewithal to say, you know what, and just just be decent enough of a of a human being to said parents say, the actions of what 14, 15 year old Jerry Jones did in 1957 does not reflect my thoughts and opinions of black America and of black people here in 2022. I was a teenager at the time. And if I was a teenager at the time, albeit it is no excuse, we've all done a lot of things at this point, in t- at that point in time in our lives uh, that 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 isn't socially acceptable. Ne- neither was at the time, and certainly isn't now. And and it would be a valid point in making it. It would be it would be a, not to say again that you excuse racism, but again it was more embedded into the. It was more on the surface, embedded into the culture of American society, especially in the South in the fifties, in specific nineteen fifty seven, than it is here in the twenty, and than it is here in the twenty twenty first century America in two thousand and twenty two. So the point is that he he what he wasn't he wasn't adult enough. Now, and you can see it you can find a video, you can see it on Twitter. Jerry Jones is stuttering, he's stammering he's he's he's, he's repeating himself, talking in circles the you the camera glow- uh, uh uh close up on his face. you can see he's sweating, he's sniffing, when has Jerry Jones ever heard a question or not you know Said what like two three times during a during a media session, crowd around him. You know, during before after a cowboy game and those little media uh, swarms. When has he ever done that? So that to me showed that he got his hand caught in the cookie jar, and the chickens have now come back home to roost, and he's more ashamed and he's more troubled about the backlash that he's going to get and the loss of particular fans and loss in in return of money and ridicule and shame and this, that, and the other more than anything. Because if Jerry Jones was truly ashamed and truly regrettable about what he did as a 14, 15-year-old back in 1957, he would have sat up there on during his team's biggest stage of the regular season. 41 million people watched that game yesterday. He would have sat up there in front of America, looked, eyeballed the reporters, black ones, white, whoever, and looked at whatever camera and would have, made, drawn, out a, would have said a, drawn out a sincere apology and said, look, my, I regret my actions, what I did 65 years ago. I do not hold those thoughts in my head here in 2022. I've changed this, that, and the other. I recognize the the the, the plight of, of of what black men and what black Americans have had to go through throughout my long eighty years of existence. I I am sorry. I am sorry to those to those students that I uh, that I intended to possibly harass at the time. I apologize to 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 black to black America that that I that I offended then and I offended now, having seen that photo and move on. All you can do is take responsibility, ask for forgiveness, and then move on. Instead, what does Jerry do? He talks around the issue. He dances. He he shifts the story into his high school coaches and him getting his ass kicked and scared he was going to get caught and this, that, and the. Jerry, nobody cares about your dopey high school coach. You know, making you run suicide when you see if you're trying to make the team in August of '57. Okay, the head coaches are dead and gone at this point. Nobody cares. Okay. Nobody, nobody gives a damn about your dopey high school football coach and you being scared, getting caught at the protest and you dealing with repercussions. Nobody cares. The bottom line is Jerry. The question was straight down the middle, straight up. Do you regret being there at that protest, participating in racist behavior? Yes or no? And Jerry did not answer the question. Throw that into the fact that he was a lot stepping with his idiot buddy Donald Trump with the with the get the son of a bitch off the player who kneels that whole shebang during September two thousand seventeen and he put in that policy that that cowboy player uh that he catches kneeling during the national anthem he'd cut remember that, and how he made it a policy that every cowboy player would stand during the national anthem, remember that how soon we forget five years ago. Throw that into the equation and then Jerry Jones shuffling around the answer and basically what it shows me is that Jerry Jones probably isn't as cold-hearted towards black people as he was then, but he still has that, that racist bone in his body is what I would say. He still has deep down within his soul, he can suppress it, try to Cover it up, keep it down, press as tight as he possibly can. It's still there. It's still there. And what proved it was his response yesterday. He could have proven all of us wrong and could have cleaned slate and wiped and washed his hands. If all he had to do was just say two words, I'm sorry, I apologize, I regret participating in that protest and he didn't and he didn't straight up black black person sat up there two feet away from him less than that asked him the question and jerry jones shuffled around shuffled around the question and kudos to whoever that reporter is that that had that had the balls you know six inches away from jerry's face and asked him the question Asked them a a, a perfect, it was a great question, good question, but also at the same time, a short, simple, suffice softball question. And Jerry Jones somehow, someway swung and missed. Instead, he danced around it and answered everything but the question that was asked. Went all around the Mulberry Bush and never gave us a real answer. And Jerry Jones in 2022 at 80-something years of age Knows better than the Jerry Jones in 1957. I was 14 15 years of age, may not have known better. May not have known better. Brain one fully developed, this, that, and the other. Going through puberty, his brain, his ho- brain is still growing. Hormones a little bit. No, no, no. Jerry Jones, old ass man, 80 something years of age, and been around the block a little bit and seen some shit. Seen some shit and heard some shit. 80 something years of age, multi billionaire. Owned the Dallas Cowboys for over 30 years. Jerry Jones knows better. And when you know better, you do better. Even when you didn't know better at the time, you apologize for not knowing better and and thus not doing better. And instead you do better and you know better once you've educated yourself and learned from the mistakes that you made back then. And Jerry Jones did not do that. Jerry Jones did not do that. Now, do I think there's two s- schools of thought on this? One, do I think every NFL owner is racist? No. Do I think there's about 30, 30 to 40, 45% of them that are? Probably. that I, I have in the back of my mind that Jerry Jones was one of them? I swear to God I'm not being prison a moment on this. The answer is yeah. I've always, for whatever the reason, in the back of my mind, have always had it in my head or had it within my psyche that Jer- that there was something off about Jerry Jones. That there, that he that there was some controversy, that there, that that something wasn't on the up and up with him. The way he, I don't know as well, because the way he came off, the way his dialect with the Southern X, whatever it is, something within me was like that. You got to watch that guy. Lo and behold, look what popped up on Wednesday. So, it, it, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't change. way I look at Jerry Jones, it only confirms what I have been Think what I, it only confirms what I have thought about Jerry Jones. Only confirms, uh, it only confirms what I've thought of Jerry Jones. Only confirms my uh, hypotheses and my my hypotheses of Jerry Jones and my intuition is proven correct. All it do is confirm it. Like I said on my Instagram story, Jerry Jones has always been human trash to me. Always, 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 always. Whether it was the leading force of uh, of the of the St. Louis and San Diego losing their teams, which, uh, voting for them to move to Los Angeles, bailing out on CBS in the mid '90s to run the Fox. Uh, you, uh, the you um, um, employ, uh, employing the the many a uh, convicts on his football team, the situation with, with 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 the with the cheerleaders and the and a story that came out about a few years ago about the about the illegitimate child and and now this this is just the icing on the cake, and I and as long as I've been on the show, I've told y'all for years I can't stand nor trust Jerry Jones as far as I can freaking throw him. And lo and behold, look who was proven correct. I hate being right on stuff like this, but hell, I mean it. It is what it is. It is what it is. And and my dad asked me. He asked me for a long time. He had asked me, "Why Why don't you like Jerry Jones?" I said, "I told you. I said, Dad, I told I for whatever the reason, I see Jerry Jones, and I see nothing more." than Donald Trump if he was an NFL owner. That is it. No and behold, this pops up. Can I say I'm surprised? Absolutely not. So, I mean, what are you going to do? you going, he didn't, as far as him, you know, owning the future of the football team, what are you going to do? He, 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 he's the most, his franchise is 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 worth the most in the sport. He's one of the richest owners in the league. Definitely the most powerful, with the one that has the most say. So he definitely has a lot of seniority amongst owners that you know that that have a lot of money and are also have seniority. You know. Cra no nowhere near and he's on the team a little bit longer than Bob Craft is on the team the Rooney's of course go go back generations the Mara's go back generations but they aren't exactly, you know, they're more of like the elder statesmen of the group they aren't exactly in terms of like of uh, with the have the the amount of wealth and this team and their teams don't generate the the amount of revenue that Jerry's does so i mean I mean, it is what it is. Jerry Jones in his eighties ain't gonna be owning the team, even if he does live on to how many more years. He ain't gonna be part of the daily day-to-day operations. You know, in due time, it's only a matter of when till his till his son Steven takes over. Ain't gonna be that much time until until he, you know, he he perishes. Anyway, he is in his eighties. I mean, all, not to sound insensitive, but it's just it's just speaking facts so i mean as far as him and then of course you know him pro he was a 14 year old kid i mean jerry jones was nothing in terms of the the power that he had and the wealth it was nothing when he was 14 back in 1957 65 he was nothing nothing so i mean so it's not that the nfl can sit up here and and punish him for something that he did when he was a child so it's not like that you, you, know, you can force him to sell a team for... Not, do, not Donald Sterling. who was caught on tape talking about niggas and all that sort of stuff. He was the current owner of the Los Angeles Clippers. Jerry Jones did something stupid as a child and danced around the issue as an adult and didn't really issue an apology. You can't... Should he not... Should he, hey, listen, if the news broke tomorrow, he was selling the Cowboys, I'd do handstands. but I, But... I mean, on what technicality can you pinpoint Jerry Jones in violation of the NFL rule, or 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 is it a violation of him not, you know, continuing to own the Dallas Cowboys? Like on on what on what technicality can can you can you get him on? It's like when you're trying to prosecute a criminal and they and they don't, and and you're trying to and you're trying to prosecute them on a crime that they. Committed, but but they they committed and they either got acquitted or they or they or they got uh or they got a minimal sentence and you're gonna try to find reason to get them for them again as an adult later and you written although you know they give you a sign that that they you know that their behavior hasn't changed but you can't find a technicality for you to, for you to uh, for you to indict them on on a specific crime. It's pretty much the situation I'm trying to bring up with Jerry. Not the wood the team because he's as stubborn as an ox, but you get the idea. And I've hated Jerry Jones for years, so it's not me hopping on some bandwagon. I can't stand Jerry Jones as far as I can freaking throw him. Can't stand him. Always, always have, and always will. I cannot stand Jerry Jones. Can't stand him. Part re- part of the reason why I root for the Cowboys is because of him. I don't. I don't. I do not like him as far as I can freaking throw him. I hate him, absolutely hate him, and all he had to do is just take responsibility, Not well he did take responsibility, but all he had to do was admit guilt, admit regret, and he couldn't do it, so, if he, you know, gets flooded with a bunch of protests, and gets called a racist, and and all things, and all the things that comes with being an old racist white man in 2022 America, you know what, so be it, he made his bed, he's out of land it, but um, interesting things from Jerry Jones right there over the last couple of days. We'll take a break. We'll get to the Week 12 preview and picks. This is the Amatelica T.I.S. Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Telacatias podcast. Switching gears to uh, with and just with the Jerry Jones situation, man, it's just you know it's unfortunate. You know, again, do I think Jerry Jones is the only NFL owner that? Either a currently uh, still exhibits uh, racist and uh, and uh, r- he executes and practices uh, r- racist and bigoted uh, thoughts and tendencies and behaviors. No, I don't think he's the only one. Is he? Is Jerry Jones really one that does that? May not practice them now, but but for whatever the reason, doesn't have any regret or doesn't. Uh, uh, regret or show remorse from any uh, racist or bigoted actions or decisions or, or that or behaviors that they that they made back in either their younger years or back in the day where everything wasn't under the microscope of social media and the internet and and, and and TV like it is now. No, I don't think so either. You know, and I saying. You know, it is. I mean, when you when you have a a group of owners and a lot of them are middle aged, old, older white males. I mean, as a black, for, for a person who is black, okay, who looks at life and looks at America through a different lens than maybe the average white person, you you, you look and you kind of create, uh, not narratives, but you kind of have your own. Ideas or perceptions about people, you know, especially those of 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 the white, uh, old with the white of the white race that have money, you kind of say, uh, are, are you you begin to question. You don't, you know, cast a person say, oh, all of no, because I certainly do not believe that ideology and believing that thinking all white people are racist and all which all rich white people are racist, because that certainly couldn't be further from the truth. But you know, like Jerry Jones for perfect example, for whatever reason, just had it in my head, and all I had to do was just let him just give me proof, and my thinkings were confirmed. Again, is he the only one? No. Do I think there's a couple others that? Either continue to practice in bigoted racist behavior or don't regret their racist bigoted behavior from the past. I, 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 no, Jerry Jones is not the only one that's still, that's, that's still uh, falling in that line. It's just Jerry Jones just happened to have his hand, uh, that happened to have his hand caught in a cookie jar this time, you know. So, you know, so uh, is every NFL owner? No. Do I believe or, or say? do I believe Ursay is no i mean this is a guy that's employed two black head coaches which for a lot of owners in the sport says a lot more than says a lot more than uh you know than a lot of other owners that haven't employed any black head coaches uh during the during their uh during their time do i do i know that there are that you could find me quite a few owners that quite a few uh owners that the only one that isn't white is Con, the one that owns the uh, the Jaguars and the Packers. Of course, don't have them. But do I have in my mind a a, a, a list of owners that I believe are not uh, racist, hateful individuals? Yeah, I I do. I uh, you know I I don't think I don't believe in my heart of hearts. I I believe Arthur Blank is a stand is a stand up uh, is stand up guy. I know that uh, at least when it comes to the issues of race, I know I, Ursa, Ursa, the, that Jim Ursay is a stand-up guy when it comes when it comes to that regard. I mean, this guy's employed uh, this guy's employed uh, two two black coaches and comes across as a genuine guy amidst I, I his aloofness and, and the fact that he talks too damn much. Um, I think, uh, I think I know that, 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 uh, I believe, I know that the Mike, that the Browns and the Black Bo- Blackburns are stand up individuals. I mean, this is, this is a, this is a, this is an organization that employed Marvin Lewis for 15, that employed Marvin Lewis for 15 years. So and if there was any opportunity, you know, th- th- you better believe that they would have, uh, I mean, so I so I got a list of not not is that is not every NFL owner do I believe is racist? No, do I believe that there's a select few that are? Yes, but I believe also that there is probably that there's more than fifty, fifty-five, sixty percent that aren't more than the thirty, thirty-five, forty percent maybe that are. And I think Jerry Jones is a part of is part of the ones that either. That either still currently practice their behavior through their donations to whatever political candidate they endorse, their their talk and their rhetoric going back five years ago at the anthem protest, or they don't exactly uh, have have uh, have announced or established any forms of regret or uh, or 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 ask for sincere forgiveness based on whatever decisions and behaviors that they practice. Back in the day, but anyway, I wanted to get that out of the way and get that off uh, and get that off uh, get that off my chest. Uh, as far as the Week Twelve games are concerned across the National Football League, uh, I tell you, it'd be hard. You the one and the NFL and and the, the problem is going to get worse next year, not better, because next year. Uh, as I my phone slips out of my hands because next year there will be a a Black Friday game at three. It will be a Black Fr- a game on Black Friday at three o'clock in the afternoon. So you'll have eight. You'll have eight teams that will. Uh, you'll have eight teams that won't play on on that Sunday of Thanksgiving. On that Sunday afternoon of Thanksgiving weekend, ten if you include the two that play on Monday night uh so it so the problem of the bad uh Sunday game the bad Sunday afternoon games on Thanksgiving weekend will get worse next year not better because uh, because there will be a Black Friday NFL uh, NFL game on Black Friday afternoon the day after Thanksgiving that will be on Amazon uh Prime well it, so no so in the last uh last year in the final season of no uh, game on the Friday after Thanksgiving, the, the NFL slate in week 12 is not good uh, whatsoever on, on Sunday. And Monday night's game is just a complete, utter waste of time. Why in the hell would you, after you've done nothing but watch football from 1230 afternoon on Thursday afternoon, watch college football all day Friday and all day Saturday, and the NFL football from 1 to 1130 quarter to midnight with your standard Sunday of NFL games, why in the world would you sit down for three hours on your and waste a Monday night watching the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Indianapolis Colts? I mean, unless unless you're a degenerate gambler betting on it, why in the world would you watch that game? I have absolutely no understanding because the Monday night game this week it may be the it may be the worst Monday night game of the season at least on the schedule to boot coming up in a few days time but as far as the Sunday slate of games I mean you got Broncos and Panthers two two teams with three wins that game stinks the Buccaneers and the Browns the Browns are bad lost season for them albeit the Buccaneers coming off of back-to-back victories at five and five trying to get above 500 for the first time since September the 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 Ravens and the Jaguars the Ravens are at seven and three, still trying to see if they can build any lead more than a half a game or 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 a game over the Cincinnati Bengals in the north. But the Jaguars, albeit a competitive team that's got some talent on it, they're three and seven. Uh and that and the forecast of for that game looks like it's calling for rain. So who in the hell wants to watch you know that game in a monsoon in in a in a monsoon is bad enough the Ravens could have issues generating points at home against against the Carolina Panthers team that gave up 35 points in a single half to the Bengals so so uh buyer beware on that game Texans Texans and Dolphins is a bad game the Texans haven't won a game in eons they're 1-8-1 and, and the Miami Dolphins are 7-3 and, and that game is going to be over by halftime the Bears and the Jets. No Justin Fields who injured his shoulder. Albeit they are entertaining, and the Jets are starting Mike White. That game isn't. That game is is not great under any circumstances. The Falcons and Commanders is a decent game because the Falcons still somehow some way are still in the race of the. NFC South division lead, and the Commanders uh, certainly have a chance to take a sixth or seventh seed or a wild card wild card spot. But Marcus Mariota versus Taylor Heineke isn't exactly an enticing A list matchup. But I guess you can call that one an intriguing game going into it down at FedEx Field on Sunday. The Chargers and the Cardinals isn't is not a good game. The Cardinals are on a the Cardinals are collapsing before our very eyes with. Cliff Kingsbury and his unmotivated squad not tackling George Kittle down the sideline on the game on during the game during the second half on Monday night. Meanwhile, the Chargers are five and five, and they are probably going to be you know one one. They got maybe. Their their margin of error to make the playoffs is so, so slim at this point at 5-5. Five and five. They're on the outside looking in in terms of the AFC uh, playoffs are concerned, not to mention that team is is injured to hell and back on the offensive and defensive side of football. It ain't even funny. Raiders and the Seahawks is a bad game. Seahawks, yes, coming off of a bye in their four-game uh, winning streak, snapped two weeks ago in Germany when they lost to the uh, aforementioned Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But you know, and but and them coming off of a bye, trying to take advantage of this easy ske- this easy portion of their schedule before they get back to the gauntlet again. But the Raiders stink at three and seven. Rams and Chiefs. Uh, that's another game that'll be over midway through the second quarter, no later than halftime. Early in the third quarter, the Chiefs are clicking on all cylinders. They are flying. Travis Kelsey is on another planet. Patrick Mahomes is about a, an imp- is about possibly a. Uh, Uh, For a 385 and four touchdown performance away from running away with the uh, running away with the MVP and in in the NFL in the NFL this year, Chiefs at eight and two could have the division locked up within a matter of within a matter of weeks. And yes, they're still trying to uh, keep the pressure on Buffalo, Buffalo to keep them winning to, to see if Buffalo can give Kansas City a run for their money with with Buffalo holding the tiebreaker over Kansas City for the one seed in the AFC. But the Rams are shot. Matthew Stafford's dealt with concussion and neck inji- and injuries in injuries and back-to-back games. He's injured the Helen back. No Cooper Cup. It's, and the and the, and the season's been and the season was officially lost for the year when they lost back-to-back games to at home against Colt McCoy and the Cardinals, and then last Sunday, on the road, uh, on the road to Andy Dalton and the Saints, and they're three and seven. The Forty ers and the Saints—that's not a good game either. The Sa- the Saints are, you know, are competitive, but the Forty ers were so damn good that again it'll be Andy Dalton spinning his wheels three and out this and three and out that like the Ravens game about three weeks ago, you know, and, you know, and that game has, has a, has 28 to, you know, has 28 seven San Francisco written all over it. That game uh, coming up at 4:25 on Fox and the Sunday night game, you know, albeit it is Aaron Rodgers and NBC loves to show you the Packers and loves to show you Aaron Rodgers as much as possibly can. Not to mention they get the Philly market and the Eagles, who are the who are the best team in the NFC and arguably one of the best teams in the National Football League at nine and one. But the Packers, unless the Eagles lie down and die and and they and they and they have a second trap game in three weeks. There's no reason why the Eagles can't beat Green Bay by no less than 17 points. So it's and and again, the Monday night game is just completely unwatchable. The only game, the only game where the two teams are basically for the most part evenly matched, where they go going with two. Let me let me in fact let me look. I think this game may be the only game on the schedule, where, but where two teams are above 500. Yep, yeah, it is. Wow the so that means that this Bengals and Titans game is the only game on the Sunday into Monday night slate of NFL games where the two teams participating in the game are above 500 and it's the only game that has that has a little bit of panache and intrigue to it and more and it's more or less because for and it's more or less in part of Cincinnati more than it is Tennessee Tennessee's going to run away and hide with the AFC South, even if they win on Sunday. Bengals need this game more so they can keep so they can keep pace with the Ravens and pray that during the Ravens' stretch of a cupcake schedule, uh, as they now play uh, and the downs and heading down the stretch in late November, as we head into December within the next uh, week or so, week and a half or so, that the Bengals can somehow steal a division from the Ravens and at least keep pace with the likes of the Jets and the. With the likes of the Jets and Buffalo and Miami, in terms of the in terms of the wild card chase in the AFC, but that's the only intriguing game that's on the schedule for Sunday. Thus, that's the only game that I will bother to give the uh, bother give the to give you the uh, time of time of day. Falcons and Commanders are a little intrigue as well. Falcons got to make sure that uh, they got to be able to uh, stop the run, Antonio Gibson and. And keep uh, Taylor Heinicke from rolling out the pocket and making a big play downfield to uh, Terry McLaurin, and the Commanders in turn, as the Chase Young they activate him to the 53 earlier this week. Got to make sure that uh, got to make sure that the Atlanta Falcons don't dictate the tone of the game. With running the football, pounding the rock, and controlling the clock, and keeping Heineken and the Commanders' offense off the field, and keeping the Commanders' defense on the field as much as they possibly can. But in but going back, but the only game of of note is the Titans and the Bengals. And here we go. Uh, the Bengals. This is a game, you know that uh, that they gotta have. Like I said after the Pittsburgh game earlier this week, I'll say it again. The Bengals' mantra from here on out has to be in the words of Alan DeGeneres as 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 as, as Dory and Finding Nemo circa 2003 not ju- not keep swimming but just keep winning the Bengals if they want to make the playoffs and by and on a, and and in courtesy of a prayer by the good lord if they want to make another run at defending their AFC Championship title and getting back to a Super Bowl, they just gotta keep winning. Period. They just no. They can't no more. Lo- no more losses. Nothing. They just just keep winning. That's so what they gotta do. Just keep winning. Every game you come across the schedule, just win. Don't. There is no next game. There is no what if this happens and this and that and this and that and, and, and the scenario and who has tiebreak over who, what, whatever and, and in-conference record. No, no, no. French toast all of that. Take care of your own business and just keep winning. That's got to be their philosophy. If they want to make it to where they want to go and if they want to go where I want them to go, they just got to put their head down nose to the grindstone, and just keep winning. Just every opponent, doesn't matter who it is, who you're playing, Buffalo, Kansas City, Titans, the Ravens, the Browns, the Bucks, the Patriots, Steelers, I don't care. Put your head down, shut out the noise, and just keep winning. And like I said on Tuesday, i say it again. I would be very, very concerned. Now granted, they do get a break because the Titans passing offense, albeit it looked great against the Packers eight days ago, is one of the is one of the worst passing offenses in the National Football League. So the Bengals secondary gets a break. They get a break that they don't have to, you know, worry about who's gonna get AJ Brown in the, cause AJ Brown ain't there. You know, Robert Woods is not as intimidating going up against AJ Brown. So, albeit that that the that the Titans' passing offense isn't that good, they also have to keep in mind we don't have to basically fear it like we you know fear it and fear their passing game like 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 you will when you go up against uh, you know and game plan the way you would like when you have to go up against Tennessee and the, and the uh, and the Chiefs who can or, or not Tennessee but like you like you would against like you would against Kansas City and Buffalo who can sling the rock, but you also at the same time don't want to go all in chips in the middle of the table, you know, feast or famine, you stop Derrick Henry, and then all of a sudden it's man-to-man coverages all over the place, and Ryan Tannehill's picking your pockets, throwing the football up and, and moving the ball downfield left and right. So if you're the Bengals, your game plan has got to be to stop Derrick Henry. They let Najee Harris have a have a have a have a decent afternoon last week. No decent afternoons for Derrick Henry. Now you now the enticing thing and a thing that would then the encouraging factor if you were a Tennessee Titans fan would be did the Bengals let Derrick Henry run rampant over him rampant rampant over them in the playoff game? The answer would be no. The caveat is that it was Derrick Henry's what first game back from his broken foot injury, and if anything, the Titans forcing trying to trying to shoehorn Derrick Henry back into full speed, hundred and ten percent ax before his injury uh, hurt Tennessee more than it helped them, because they realized they got their best player and Derrick Henry back, and they tried to shoehorn him into the offensive game plan and shoe and shoehorn him into the running game, and it didn't work. Derrick Kennedy hadn't been on the field for months, and here it is. He's in his first game action. he's He's been in in months to where, you know, the Titans have, and, and it's in an area, in a setting where the Titans have mo- no margin of error because the playoff single elimination, you lose, there is no tomorrow. So if I was a Bengals fan and if I was a Bengals coach or player, I wouldn't take too much stock, and I can pull you up his stats from the playoff game here in a minute if you wish. I wouldn't take too much stock in the idea that uh that 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 the that the Bengals held Derrick Henry to a uh, held Derrick Henry uh to a to a uh, low rushing uh or excuse me to a small rushing stat line back in the playoff game uh 10 months ago. I would I wouldn't take I wouldn't take him in stock in that because again, he was coming off for of the broken foot injury. And one of the things, and there was many things that cost, uh, that costed, uh, that cost uh, Tennessee to lose that playoff game. Trying to shoehorn Derrick Henry into the game, uh, with the rushing attack uh, was one of them. Let me see if I can get you his stats here in a minute. He was Derrick Henry. He was on twenty carries. He ran for sixty-two yards. 20 carries, 62 yards, and went on, on first game back on with a bad foot. So if I was Cincinnati, I wouldn't take immense stock in that. I would expect, of course, Derrick Henry. You know, he's he's played the entire season. You expect the expect Tennessee to pound the rock and keep the and with that. And the thing that that also would get you when the formula to beating the high scoring offenses that can score that can score in bunches. Is that the opposing team is going to run the football, pound the rock, and keep their opponent on the sideline for as much as they possibly can? Keeping Mahomes, keeping Allen, Burrow in this offense as they've been electric essentially for about a month, not counting the uh, the debacle on Halloween night in Cleveland. Tennessee is going to say, Derek, run the football down this down this team's throat, control clock, and make sure that Joe Burrow touches the football as as as, as as little as possible cuz you know it's going to be their game plan pound the rock with Derrick Henry and ke- keep the Bengals on the field for as long as possible and keep the Bengals offense off the field for a, for as uh, for as long as possible then from a Bengals standpoint, is can you generate a pass rush? They only sacked Ryan Tannehill once in the playoff game. Can you generate a pass rush? Get after Ryan Tannehill when you know when you need to get off the field on third down, which the Bengals struggled at mightily against uh, Pittsburgh on Sunday. And also, if you're Cincinnati in the offensive line, the there's no excuse. I don't anticipate them to give up nine sacks on Sunday, but obviously. Obviously, obviously, you cannot expect Joe Burrow to get sacked nine times and still walk away winning the football game. You can't. So, uh, Lyle Lyle Collins, Jonah Williams, everybody got to be on. Jonah Williams especially because he's the only carryover from that playoff game back in January to this year's Uh, O-line. No nine sack games, no eight sacks, seven, six, five, four, three. No, two sacks and less. That is it. And the Bengals have kept did an impressive job against the Steelers' expensive defense last week. I expect for them to put together a solid offensive blocking performance in the game on Sunday. But they cannot expect Burrow to get sacked, you know, more than three times and expect to win the football game because more times than not, that that just does not the two do not compute and go well together. Uh, And they and the Bengals will have no Joe Mixon who is out with a concussion. Which will cause uh, Samaje P. Ryan, and Chris Evans to step up in the rushing attack. Pirine, Ryan, of course, had the three receiving touchdown game against Pittsburgh last week, and they need and the Bengals need those two to step up in the running game with no Joe Mixon out. With no Joe Mixon out there for them on Sunday, remember Joe Mixon was the only Bengal that scored a touchdown uh that scored a touchdown in that field goal f- in that nineteen to sixteen field goal fest back in January. Joe Mixon scored the only touchdown a sixteen uh yard run down inside down inside the uh red zone uh for Cincinnati uh I believe it was in the second half. he scored the only touchdown in the game for Cincinnati. Uh yes, for it was their opening drive of the uh opening drive of the second half he will not be out there so Cincinnati best plan uh, accordingly. Jamar Chase who has practiced this week ran red zone uh red zone routes with Joe at practice today. We'll see how we ho- we'll see how he holds up. Uh they officially listed him as questionable for the game coming up on Sunday. We'll see if Jamar Chase uh, if the if the Bengals will push the envelope with the, will uh, will push the envelope and send Jamar Chase out there, knowing that they will have that Joe Mixon is out and they push the envelope, or will they, uh, put the or will they put the reins on them and and see and see the, the uh, storm up ahead when they got Kansas City next week and then they got uh But and then they got games against buffalo and uh and uh, Baltimore early in January, and then the playoffs and they and once playoff time comes around, you can ill afford to make it to another super Bowl with no jamar chase and him reaggravating that injury would spell nothing but great disaster for the bengals so we'll see how Cincinnati plays this within the next uh within the next forty eight hours or so. With no with no uh, Joe Mixon, and you know that'll be all right. Well, Jamar, will you step up and take his place? Or oh, will the Bengals have to go to Tennessee and somehow find a way to win a game with no Jamar Chase and no Joe Mixon? They find a way, pretty much, to do it last week against Pittsburgh, but will but it'll be a tough task to see if they can do the same against Derrick Henry, and the Tennessee Titans. So that is basically where you stand. With Week 12, we will—I'll give you my two cents on two NBA notes and the Week 12 picks against the spread. This is the Yamitel um, I Can Tell You's podcast. What a song that is. John Denver, as we welcome you back to the Until I Can Tell Years podcast. Uh, just a couple of things in terms of the ratings of the Thanksgiving Day games they've come through. Uh, in order from, uh, in order in which the games uh, were played. The Bills and Lions game is C- is CBS's most watched game of the season. With 31.6 million viewers. That's up 12% compared to last year's game, which was Bears and Lions on Fox. The game peaked with almost 42 million viewers. Um uh, most watched early Thanksgiving Day game on record. So the 1230 game in Detroit most watched game that won Bills and Lions did 31 million people. The one that you knew that was going to be out of this world because it featured because it featured the New York team, the New York market, NFC East. Both teams had, came into the game at seven and three, you knew it was going to do big numbers. The Cowboys and the Giants did four had fourteen. 14- uh, f- excuse me. Have 42 million viewers. That counts as the most watched regular season game on any network in the history of the National Football League. Most watched regular season game in the history of uh, sports television on any network. 42 million viewers. That was up. That's up 49 percent over last year. That's up 49 percent com compared to last year's game on Fox, which I said was the aforementioned snooze fest between the bears and alliance at 1230 last year and but it was only up 3% compared to last year's game in Dallas between the uh between the uh raiders and the cowboys that was on CBS last year uh and it did an 11.2 in New York and a 24.5 uh in Dallas which is uh which is absolutely uh, which is uh absolutely uh, remarkable and then the uh and then with the uh th- with the night game on NBC between the Patriots and the and the Vikings uh it's the second most watched primetime Thanksgiving game ever ever which in the and they've been having a night game night game on Thanksgiving since 2006 with that game had over 26 uh million people watching on NBC and you figure that that game was going to get the was going to the night game doesn't do as strongly as the four o'clock and as the twelve thirty games does in the ratings comparatively speaking, because I said this to other people and said it on amongst group chats I'm in on Twitter and and, and text messages and everything else. Uh that the that Thanksgiving it's weird with that day. Thanksgiving is the only day where ten o'clock at night on Thanksgiving feels like tw- feels like twelve ten in the morning. Uh, the other fi- the other fifty one the other fifty one Thursdays out of the year, ten o'clock at night does not feel late at least to me. Like for instance, when it heads to the fourth quarter at around ten o'clock at night. F- between between Bills and Patriots, on Thursday the first of the month next week, I'll be I'll be bright eyed and bushy tailed as if it's as if it's one o'clock in the afternoon. Yet ten o'clock last night, I, w- I was I was I was I was I was yawning every five seconds and 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 fighting the urge to just call it a night and 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 take my clothes off and get in the bed and go to sleep. It's weird Thanksgiving. It, it's, it does. It, it's 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 a different like feel with your body clock on Thursday, or excuse me, on Thanksgiving. The Other fifty one Thursdays, I'm bright eyed, bushy tailed, quarter to ten, ten, ten thirty at night. Thank, but Thanksgiving's the only Thursday out of the year where ten o'clock at night feels like twelve o'clock at night. Eleven o'clock at night feels like one o'clock in the morning. And midnight on Thanksgiving feels like three a.m. on a, on any regular Thursday. It's for that reason it always feels that way because you know, I was the fact that you've eaten your stuff that your that your stomach's content and you're full and and you and you're stuffed and, and you can't eat another bite and you've been around family all you know you've been around family all afternoon and all throughout the night so maybe your social battery is on is on e. Depending on your situation, you might have gotten up early in the morning or whatever and you stayed and you stayed up late and you stayed out the Wednesday night before, whatever the case might be. but it's always like when a night game comes around it's like uh it's it's like you know you saw foot you saw football from a twelve o'clock in the afternoon through seven thirty at night been around family you've you've eaten you've done this, you've done that, and then the night game comes around and it's like you know, some people, you know, they want to uh, start wa- breaking out and watching the Christmas movies, the Charlie Brown specials, go Black Friday, get, you know, stand in life for the dopey Black Friday shopping or, or whatever the case might be. But compared to the... Compared to the twelve thirty and the four thirty windows, the, the night game doesn't do as well in the ratings compared to those two times. I understand it's the youngest out of the three. You know we've had the twelve thirty and the and the four o'clock four thirty games in Detroit and Dallas for the longest time, and and these night th- and these Thursday or excuse me these Thanksgiving night games have only been a thing since two thousand and six. But it's but still. Typically on a regular Sunday afternoon, it's it's the one o'clock window does the weakest, the four thirty, depending on the matchup, is the strongest or is the second strongest, and then the third, and then the Sunday night game is the one that brings it home, that gets the highest rating. Thanksgiving, it's the opposite. It's the it's the twelve thirty that gets that gets that that has the rating that kind of falls in the middle. The four thirty one against the Cowboys is the one that does the strongest, especially if it's on CBS uh and then uh, and then the night game is the one that kind of does well it, it's not a bad rating but it kind of lingers behind you know the like i like i just told you those two games that over did over 31 million people the cowboy game and the lion game this one only did about 25 26 million and it was on NBC not the NFL network like it was for for a long time as well which i thought was interesting um, but as, but switching gears now, uh, off of, uh, off of that, uh, with the NFL and the, uh, and the TV ratings, uh, just a couple of things in terms of the NBA. I want to give my, uh, I want to, uh, I want to give my two cents on, uh, Patrick Beverly suspended three games for shoving DeAndre Ayton to the floor, uh, to the floor when he to look into this is back on, uh, when this was back on a uh, Wednesday, this was back on a uh, Tuesday night in Phoenix, uh part of a scuffle between Beverly and DeAndre Ayton and this and uh DeAndre Ayton uh Beverly will be without pay and it'll cost him two hundred and sixty eight thousand nine hundred and sixty five uh dollars in salary. This is all because this is all because of a uh and he was assessed with a tentacle foul and was ejected. At, and this is when Ayton stood over uh, Austin Reeves when Reeves was on the f- was uh, on the f- was on the floor following a, a flagrant foul from uh, Devin Booker late in the fourth quarter during the Lakers' uh, uh, ten point loss in Phoenix on Tuesday night. Uh, you, you've seen the play, Booker hard foul, uh, Reeves on the floor line on his back. Aiden steps over him, steps over him, and looks down on him to intimidate him. Patrick Beverly comes right from behind without Aiden looking, and all of a sudden shoves him towards, shoves him down on the ground, and a scuffle uh, ensues after, after the fact. Um, listen, as my dad always told me growing up, you know, punks jump up to get beat down. You know if. Aiden didn't want to uh, didn't want to get shoved. Or didn't want to deal with any repercussions from any members of Los Angeles Lakers. He should have just saw uh, saw uh, Booker's flagrant for what it was. How you doing? Keep it moving. Literally keep it moving and don't even engage Reeves. Stance, uh sitting down there on the floor. Instead, what instead what does he do? He uh, he, flag, flagrant foul from Booker. Aiden gets the football, gets the uh, basketball after the rebound. and whistle is blown. Stands over him, and then Patrick Beverly out of nowhere pushes pushes him, in a scuffle, and and it ended up being about a scuffle that was about five ten minutes it took to uh, to sort out. I don't blame Patrick Beverly for being peeved for being upset. He saw his own player uh, get fouled. He didn't like it and then he saw Aiton taunting him standing over him and Beverly didn't stand for it. You can sit up here and you can say it was a Bush League move because he pushed him while Aiton wasn't looking. But the bottom line is, if Aiton just minds his business, Beverly has no reason to run over there and push and shove uh, DeAndre Aiton to the ground. That's all there is to it. If if Aiton gets the basketball once the whistle is blown, just walks away from Reeves, doesn't engage and mind his business, Beverly has no reason to react. Thus, he reacts, he stands over him, he looks down on him, he taunts him, Beverly doesn't like it, runs over and kind of body checks him and Aiden gets, uh, gets knocked to the ground and it becomes a whole thing. One of those situations where if you're Beverly, you kind of take the suspense because you because albeit it was righteous indi- indignation and you were justified in being annoyed and justified in being angry and and, and pissed off with Aiton. Bottom line is you can't out of the clear blue sky just just you know body check another player especially when they aren't looking. So I mean it's kind of a situation where you just got to take the good with the bad and. And see that you broke a rule, albeit you were justified in breaking it. Take see it and take it for what it is, and keep it moving. Uh, as far as Aiden is concerned, again, if he doesn't stand over uh, Reeves and taunt him at the end uh, after the whistle is blown, we're not even having a conversation. So again, like my dad always said, punks jump up to get uh, punks jump up to get beat down is what he always told me growing up uh was what he always told me growing up as a uh, as a child and the second thing is ben Simmons i thought that he was going to get a much harsher reception a uh, much harsher reception when he returned to the wells fargo uh center uh, a few days ago earlier this week I thought he was going to get a much 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 rougher uh uh reception and what he got it seems like the the for the philadelphia fan they were they were quite uh Mild compared to what they've done to other players in the past. Listen, I'm not gonna say Ben. I'm not gonna sit up here and uh, I mean Ben Simmons he's played well as of late. whoopty damn do. The bottom line is is that until Ben Simmons gets it through his head and he and he's an adult enough in the room and he looks himself in the mirror and he self evaluates and. The bottom line is that Ben Simmons quit on the Philadelphia 76ers. Charles Barkley put it perfectly. The reason why the Philadelphia 76ers have a problem with him is because he quit on the fan base, and in turn he quit on his teammates. He quit on Joel Embiid. He quit on all those players that on, on that entire team, that entire roster. Doc Rivers, he quit on everybody that was associated with that 2020-2021 76ers team in that, during that playoff series against Atlanta that june of uh that june of uh of t- of 2021 simple i mean if he if he if he isn't timid and being going through the yips going through the yips and and with the with the problems making layups and the dunks and the and 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 and, and free throw shoot that's one thing avoiding your problem and avoiding your problem and running away from your problem and and, and projecting your problems and your issues on other people and on and on, on other people and the organizations and casting blame and 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 all that sort of stuff all that crap that Ben Simmons pulled and then willingly not showing up to work and then still mm-hmm. requesting that essentially that, that the 76ers treated you like treated you like trash while and when you just playing a symbol just didn't feel like showing up the work. It didn't want to work and didn't want to put in the work and didn't want to play and, oh, by the way, where's my money? The Philadelphia sports fan, nor do any of the carryovers from that 76ers team is going to have any respect or have any patience for you. They're just not. I said it at the time. I'm on re- I've am i been on record for saying it at the time. The bottom line is that Ben Simmons, he gets booed. He gets jeered. He deserves what he gets. He straight up quit on a Philadelphia 76ers. He quit on him, and he didn't want to be a Philadelphia 76 anymore because he wasn't adult enough and wasn't mature enough to basically see the forest through the trees, learn from his mistakes, and and and, and didn't want to right his wrong. And instead of him going out there doing his job and working his ass off to being a better basketball player, he decided to take the, the, the cowardly lion approach and try to run away from his problems. And the Philadelphia sports fan reacted accordingly. Simple. That's all it is. And then had the nerve in chutzpah but wanted, it wanted, wanted, still wanted his money, which I find to be the most laughable thing out of all of this. He quit because he didn't feel like he he wanted to put in the work to be a bas- to 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 be a better basketball player. He likes he likes the, he likes the verified Instagram and Twitter accounts. He likes the attention. He likes all of the. The 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 pomp and circumstance and the and the and the and the peaches and cream and the ambiance that comes with being a professional athlete and being an NBA and being an NBA player, no less playing in Philadelphia and and New York City, but he doesn't want to put. From what I took from the situation, he didn't want to put in the work and get down to the nitty gritty and put in and put in that that real extra effort that separates the men from the boys. He just wanted the cachet and wanted to be an NBA player and and and, and a household NBA player in name only. He didn't want it to translate into his play out there on the court, and that was what and that was a huge issue at the Philadelphia that the that the Sixers fan. Had with ben, had with Ben Simmons, you quite and you quite honestly, if you're looking through it objectively, you can't blame him because there's no excuse for that. Running away from your problems just because you don't like the way uh, s- uh, certain people react to your, to your bad play—that's what children do. That's what children do. So I want to get those two things. Uh, so I want to get those two things uh, off my chest. Here, before we get to the week, so I'm trying to pull up my sheet here. As we will get to the week 12 picks against the spread, I'd believe week 12. I counted it earlier today, including this, including this Sunday, the week 12 Sunday of the season. We have from here until the Super Bowl. We have only ten weeks left of the 2022 NFL season. Hard to believe. This Sunday included, we have ten Sundays left of the football season. Hard to believe. Week twelve picks in the National Football League, in the league where they play. The Bay. Game number one between the Baltimore Ravens and the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Ravens are four-point favorites. Lamar Jackson's been in and out of practice this week dealing with an illness. He will be playing it. He will be playing in this game. Amor Davis out with a hip injury. He expected to return next week. Devin Duvernay, Gus Edwards are questionable for week 12. J.K. Dobbins expected to return this Sunday. Uh, Hamilton, uh, who's been in and out of practice with a knee injury. He is also questionable for Baltimore, as is Deshaun Jackson. Ravens favored by four points, getting the Baltimore Ravens to take care of business and win this game by the final score of 28-14. to 14. The Denver Broncos are two-and-a-half point favorites, taking on the Carolina Panthers in a Super Bowl 50 rematch. Carolina Panthers coming off of their heartbreaking overtime loss at the hands of the Vegas Raiders at home last week. Meanwhile, the Carolina Panthers are uh, trying to uh, just get to the end of the season. That's quite frankly all I can say after their offense didn't show up against Baltimore last week. Give me the Denver Broncos to win this game by the final score of 17-2-3. The Atlanta Falcons head to Washington, Landover, Maryland, technically speaking, to take on the six and five Washington Commanders. This Washington team has been flying ever since Taylor Heineke took the reins. Beavers, their offensive, their guard is questionable with a uh, is questionable with an undisclosed uh, injury. Castro Fields, their corner, expected to return this week. Drayden, uh, questionable to return for week 12. Uh, they also have uh, they also have uh, on the side of Atlanta. They have uh, Dalton and uh, David. Dalton is questionable with the toe injury. He did not practice on Thursday on Thanksgiving. He's doubtful for Week 12. Davidson is questionable. their defensive end questionable with a knee injury for Sunday's game, among others. Give me the Washington Commanders to pull out of this one with the victory, but a final score of 28. Two seventeen. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are three and a half point favorites taking on the Cleveland Browns. Browns lost last time out in Detroit to the uh, Buffalo Bills on Sunday. While the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are coming off of a bye week, their last time out in Week Ten, that they took care of business in Germany against the Seattle Seahawks. They are coming in at five and five. They have uh, they have Giovanni Bernard, who's expected to return this week. With an ankle injury, Lenny Fournette, who was limited in practice on Thursday, dealing with a hip injury, he is doubtful for Week 12 as well. Give me the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win this game by the final score of 31-17. We will move things ahead with my Cincinnati Bengals, who are one-and-a-half-point road favorites, taking on the Tennessee Titans in a rematch of the divisional playoff game from last season. As the Bengals try to make it three wins in a row, taking on that vaunted Tennessee Titan team looking to get revenge from that playoff upset that occurred only 10 months ago. Tennessee Titans have had quite a a week and some change to think about and decompress off of their Thursday night victory at Lambeau Field eight days ago as the Cincinnati Bengals are coming off of their first divisional victory of the 2022 season on the road against the Pittsburgh Steelers down at Heinz Field. Give me the Tennessee Titans to get the job done in a competitive game by the final score of uh, 27-24. The Houston Texans, uh, 13-point underdogs against the Miami Dolphins who are coming off of a bye week themselves. Last time out, they took care of business against the Cleveland Browns in week number 10. At 7-3, and three, the Dolphins are the Texans 1-8-1. The Miami Dolphins, injury-wise, uh, Alexander, their cornerback, is dealing with a groin injury. He is questionable for week 12. Uh, they also have uh, Flowers, who was on injury reserve with a foot injury. He's expected to return this week. Uh, Raheem Mostert, doubtful this week, dealing with the knee injury. He was limited in practice today. Uh, he is doubtful for Week 12 in their matchup against uh, Houston as well. Miami Dolphins will steamroll the Houston Texans by the final score of 42-14. As the Chicago Bears fly east to take on the New York Jets, Jets coming off of a uh, heartbreaking loss up at Foxborough last weekend, uh, as they try to uh, ride the ship here and get back on track with the six and four record here in the AFC East. Justin Fields dealing with the AC joint injury in his shoulder, limited in practice on Friday. Questionable go for the Bears coming up on Sunday. Meanwhile, the Jets starting Mike White at quarterback this week. They got many injuries, uh, many injuries on the uh, offensive side of the football, as it'll be a tough task to try to slow down Justin Fields if he plays and the Chicago Bears offense. Give me the New York Jets to win this game as four-point favorites by the final score of twenty-four to seventeen move things ahead with the Vegas Raiders who are three and a half point favorites or excuse me three and a half point underdogs taking on the Seattle Seahawks coming off of their bye week aforementioned last game was against the uh was against the uh, Timber Bay Buccaneers over in Germany two weeks ago. Meanwhile, the Raiders coming off of an emotional overtime victory that was a complete 180 that left their locker room after their uh, loss in Week 10 against the Indianapolis Colts and in Jeff Saturday's first victory as a, as an NFL head coach. Given the Seattle Seahawks to return home and get right back on track as they tried to uh, keep the pressure hot, Uh, with the San Francisco 49ers in the first-place race in the NFC West, giving the Seattle Seahawks win this game by the final score of 31-21. The Los Angeles Chargers are four-and-a-half point favorites taking on the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals got embarrassed on Monday Night Football down in Mexico earlier this week. We wilded Chargers licking their wounds from the last-second victory courtesy of the magic of Patrick Mahomes. And Travis Kelsey and the Kansas City Chiefs. Gimme the Los Angeles Chargers to find a way to get it done and win this game by the final score of 24 to 21 coming up on Sunday. The Los Angeles Rams lost season for them. 14 and a half point underdogs as they head to Arrowhead to take on Patrick Mahomes and the aforementioned Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs coming off of their victory last Sunday night uh, in Los Angeles against the Raiders at SoFi. Meanwhile, the Rams are coming off of a uh, deflating uh, defeat, which pretty much put their season uh, to the loss column as they lost the New Orleans Saints down at the Bayou last week. Give me the Kansas City Chiefs to curb stomp the, the uh, Los Angeles Rams by the final score. Of 20, or excuse me, my final score of 42 to 14. The New Orleans Saints, mention coming off of their home victory against the Rams last week. Meanwhile, the San Francisco 49ers are uh, coming off of their uh, Monday night victory against the Arizona Cardinals earlier this week, work week. They return home to take on the New Orleans Saints. Give me the San Francisco 49ers. Take care of business. Click on all cylinders. Jimmy G's played well. Chris McCaffrey's uh, has uh, ingrained himself and has uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for and uh, established himself amongst that San Francisco 49 Niner offense. Give me the San Francisco 49ers to win this game by a final score of 31 to 17. And the Green Bay Packers. Visiting the Philadelphia Eagles, Eagles seven-point favorites, coming off of their uh, Sunday escape, their great Sunday escape on the road at Indianapolis, Philly taking care of business against the Colts last Sunday. Meanwhile, the Green Bay Packers coming off have had eight days, and by the time of this game will be ten days. Since their last game and their previous loss the week before against the Tennessee Titans at Lambeau on Thursday night, give me the Philadelphia Eagles to take care of business and defeat Aaron Rodgers and put the the coup de grace on their 2022 uh, season officially with the final score of with the final score of 31 to 17. And the Monday night game that nobody will pay attention to. But if you bet it, God bless you. The Indianapolis Colts are two and a half point favorites taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers lost last week to my Cincinnati Bengals uh, in an absolute offensive shoot. I guess you'd call it a shootout, but they lost uh, to the Bengals in their uh, seat in their series finale against them at home last week. Meanwhile, the Indianapolis Colts coming off of their aforementioned loss to the Philadelphia Eagles last Sunday at home. They're two-and-a-half-point favorites. Monday Night Football, God bless you. If you're watching this game, I believe the Colts, though, will pull it out in the end in a defensive, uh, no, not a defensive slugfest, more like offensive ineptitude. But the Steelers will get, well, excuse me, the Colts will get it done by the final score of 17-9. to Unique score, but what the hell? 17-9, your Indianapolis Colts. Will be victorious on the unwatchable Monday Night Football game of the week. And those are your week 12 picks against the spread. And that is another episode of the Amatella Katiaiyaz podcast in the books. If you like what you heard and you're new to the program, Please do not hesitate to subscribe. I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope you guys have a great rest of your Thanksgiving holiday weekend. It's your boy, Jai Shields. I will be back with you on Tuesday to recap Week 12 of the National Football League, among other things, around the world of sports. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the TheJShield. I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Take care.